right, ladies and gents, it's that time. Turn up your speakers, strap on a smile. It's the Sims and Lefko Podcast. Here's your host, Adam Lefko and Chris I'm so excited. Well, one of uh, all right, okay. What's going on? Special edition of Sims and Lefko Podcast. Yeah, he hasn't been this excited for anybody. Dude, we had big time athletes and coaches. He wanted to get this started. I'm telling you, the sweat will begin beating up soon. You're not exciting me that much, but I get pretty excited. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Holiday, I want some fist bumps. Uh, fist me, pound me. We are doing right now a very special episode of the Sims and Lefko Podcast. Uh, last summer, I got introduced to a book that kind of blew me away, and I talked about it many times in the podcast. I get right. hit up by a random PR person, and they say, hey, do you have any interest in this in this book that's really all over the NFL? I go, you got to be freaking kidding me. I've been reading this nonstop. How did Very you hear excited. about it? How did I hear about yeah. Ryan Holiday? Well, hold on first, let me give this three the three shot. My friend Alex uh, lives in Venice Beach, California. Alex Mitchell Hart props. And he's someone that has advised me a long time. He's given, like, we've just been friends that have motivated each other. And he goes, you got to read this book. It's crazy. And I, I started reading it and I, I fell in love with it. One, because you're a voracious reader and you, you've tupped, touched into all this history. But you also had sports. You had Nick Saban in there and Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick. And I was, I was all about it. And then I'm on a plane with a friend that's a co-worker, and he goes, hey, have you heard about this book that the Seahawks have been given out? I go, you talking about this book? So it's just been finding me in weird places. Let me give a background of who he is. So this is Ryan Holiday, prominent writer on strategy, business, and stoicism, media strategist as well, best-selling author of Trust Me, I'm Lying, which was an expose on the media system. You've worked with Tucker Max, Tim Ferriss. He's advised clients like Google, Tony Robbins, Mark Echo. He was a director of Marketing American Apparel, and you're 28. 28, almost 29. Congratulations. There's an extra year. There's an extra year in there. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, So this book, the one I was talking about, Obstacle is the Way. Let's take this one so we can really show it. What was... It's, it's using Stoic philosophy as a tool for handling adversity. You sold more than 100,000 copies. Everyone from LL Cool J to Arnold Schwarzenegger to the Seahawks to the Patriots have picked it up. Man. And then one of the things that I want to help you promote is this bad boy, which is not out yet. It's coming out June 14th, Ego is the Enemy. This is the one that I've been quoting on the podcast for like the last month. So I'm kind of giving away your book constantly. Uh, and I, I've called it this, the inward battle of not defeating yourself. Yeah, sure. Okay. I, I would say if the first book is about external obstacles, ego would be the biggest internal obstacle. Absolutely. Right. Um, first of all, I think when I say anything with an ism at the end, people are like, oh, I got enough isms in my life. Yeah. Stoicism for sports fans. How would you kind of explain it? Well, so... Uh, this all goes back, when, you know, when I'm pitching this book to a publisher, I have a business publisher, I'm like, hey, I'd like to write a book about this uh, obscure school of ancient philosophy. They're not super excited. Yes. And no one was like, and it'll be really big in professional sports. Like, that <laughs> connection was not obvious. Um, but I would say, when I sat down to write it, it's most people don't wake up and they're like, hey, I'd really love to learn about philosophy. They wake up and they think, I have problems. I'd like to solve those problems. Yes. And it just happens that for most of history, philosophy, you know, before the invention of psychology, before our understanding of evolutionary biology, before any of these things, uh, philosophy was the form of self-help. Philosophy mm. was how we learned, uh, they would call it the art of living. That's what you learn philosophy Marcus from. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, and, and he, he's a prominent Stoic, like and so Stoicism was this practical philosophy for dealing with 
the difficulties of a world that we don't control. Yes. And that's the biggest one is not control. Like, I, it's funny because I actually have a hard time now. Like, when people are like, ah, I don't, and I'm just like, hey, man, it's going to come in, it's going to go out, and you, it's going to be fine. You're going to handle it okay. Yeah, if you were going to sum up Stoic philosophy in as short a way as possible, you would say the Stoics believe we don't control the world around us. We control how we respond mm. to the world around us. Right. And so it's that narrowing in of the focus exclusively on our reactions rather than ha- on how we would like things to be or how they were supposed to be or how we were told they were going to be or any yeah. number of these things. Um, it's that narrowing in that allows you to get really good at responding yes. well. Right? I mean, you're literally, I mean, I would love to sit here and talk about Marcus Aurelius and Demosthenes, who is like my guy now. But the fact that they're in the next chapter, it's Nick Saban. I was like, wow, like ah. this is an interesting thing here. Uh, I'm curious, as it was getting picked up by NFL teams, where you're like, oh man, that made so much sense. What was it like to see it getting picked up all over the place? It definitely. I didn't think, oh, that made so much sense. Like, and and I, when I was writing about Nick Saban, I wasn't thinking like, oh, here's how I can connect with football fans. It was more thinking like. The, the idea of taking things step by step, sort of action by action, that's very much in the Stoic literature. Because he's all about process. Yeah, and then I'm reading about the pro. Like, obviously, I, I, I wrote the book when I was living in New Orleans, and so everyone's talking about Nick Saban all the time. And so I was reading about Nick Saban, and, and I was like, wow, the process is exactly the same thing yeah. that, uh, that the, the Stoics are talking about. So it was more a way to explain Stoicism rather than, like, how to, exp- how to connect Stoicism and football. And it just happened that there was sort of all these sports things. When you really look at the Stoics, like obviously football didn't exist and, and basketball didn't exist, but uh, the, the Stoics would have practiced uh, pancreation, which would be like um, an ancient form of MMA. Uh, you hear in Epictetus and Seneca, they al- they're always using like wrestling metaphors. Right. Marcus Aurelius, he says like, uh, you know, you, should be a, you shouldn't be a dancer, you should be a wrestler. Like, so he's saying that like a wrestler is sort of dug in and prepared for everything mm. that life is going to throw at you. Right. So in the same way that we use football and baseball analogies, they're using wrestling and yes. fighting and war analogies because that was, that was what they grew up with. The oh, way, the way oh, it oh, spread oh, around oh. really quick, Mike Lombardi, good friend of yours, the Patriots, good friend of yours with the Patriots, Patriots, right. got his hands on it. He spread it to the Seahawks, and they're passing all around. He, the whole time, was like, you and your ego book and all that. You talked to Mike Lombardi today. Yes. What would you learn? Well, I mean, he was, he's, of course, your biggest fan. And oh, not so only cool. him, his wife as well. Yeah. Uh, but great, I, I, I think the, the interesting thing about the whole thing, too, is just to add my two cents of my experience with football world, all coaches – uh, in the NFL, want to adhere by these rules that he's written about in the book, but necessarily couldn't put it into into words, into words, Literally or actually live, or actually live it the way they wanted to, right? Because okay, external and internal motivation, right? You want to be internally motivated, but. I was around so many coaches who might talk about it, but then they read an article in the newspaper that morning and were like, I'm going to show that writer and this is bulletin board material. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it went back to external. And you're Isn't like, well, that what like happened? the Harbaugh thing? So, Harbaugh was always like, everyone keep their cool. And then he'd get out there and, and he'd be like, what? Cool. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, for NFL coaches, I could see why they love it because they want to be like that, but maybe didn't know the, way, the right process to go about it in their own mind. So I think it's interesting that you have hit home with them. Yeah. I mean, when I was writing the book, I was more thinking, like, how do you apply stoicism in a business capacity right. and, and, and a self-improvement thing? And then I just realized, I think I found out afterwards that coaches and players are, because of 
because of the specialization of their profession, they're junkies for anything that gives them a mental edge yes. or or a, a training edge. And so, Definitely. like now that I've met these coaches, they're always like texting me with like, "Oh, you got to read this book. Have you really? read this book?" Yeah, like so they the read more than my friends. They read more books than my friends who are writers because like they're not only do they read it like like Mike listens to audiobooks while he watches film, yes. which is. To me, wow, like how do you process? I, I cannot, I can't even master that level of concentration. But it, it's always looking for some edge because they know that the other coaches are looking for an edge. Definitely. Two things: one, I've listened to a lot of podcasts to like think of questions and all that. But to, to inform people, how many books do you say you read a year? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just always reading. It's probably uh, in the hundreds. What? Yeah, that it's is longer. crazy. And that, but but and I've, I've listened to one where you take notes what? when you read books, and yeah. then you 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 use the information that you take from the books, and you kind of have like a card catalog where you're like, yeah. oh, this is an interesting philosophy on this. I can equate it to something else. I mean, the title for the Obstacle is Way came from there was a I read a book about Stoic philosophy by Pierre Hadot, and he talks about this this Stoic exercise of turning obstacles upside down. I write this down on a note card. It goes in the box. I don't think about it for years. Yes, and then I'm accumulating. I might read about Nick Saban in the process and it's like oh that's how he's turning that's how he's regulating his emotions so he can see things objectively and I'm keeping these note cards and then that's what coalesces into a book at some point so I think it's not just about reading but like I think what's so interesting is not only did I did all these coaches read the books but then they're like the book has sold a lot of copies but I've probably heard from coaches more than any other type of readers because they're the kind of person who's like and now I'm going to take this to the next level by meeting that person yes. or asking them for advice. And My so favorite part is is I, a lot of people are like, oh, it's like a self-help book. And I go, no, here's the deal. The beginning is mindset. The second part is action. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I have the right mindset, but they don't do anything about it. Right. And I think when I looked at your two books, the collecting it, I feel like there's a sports Mount Rushmore of process. Four guys that you put above everybody else. Okay. Nick Saban. Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, John Wooden. I feel like that's the holy grail of process. Sure. I, I mean, I think not only are they amazing at what they do and they've sort of done things that no one else has done, but they're also they're, they're in the handful of coaches who have articulated yes. the philosophy behind why they do what they do. Belichick probably articulated it the least because mm. he's so he's so sort of circumspect with what he says. But you know, obviously, John Wooden has written these amazing books where he explains about. I mean, what's so fascinating about Lombardi is right. that he worked for Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick, yes, which right. is crazy. It is yes. crazy. Uh, well, can I just say Please, one thing? Just, you're allowed to interject whenever. You well, want. just because speaking of process, I just I mean, how does a twenty? First of all, it's really impressive that you even got Bill Belichick or Nick Saban's ear to even listen to. They wouldn't. I don't think Bill Belichick would have listened to Tom Brady at 28, and he had won two Super Bowls for him. So let alone to listen to you, I think is really impressive. But what was your process? How did you? What in your life did you go? I want to write these books to help people. Was it something with you, or did something you saw with someone close to you? That's what. So uh, I, when I got. Uh I got recommended Marcus Aurelius. It was actually by Dr. Drew, of all people. I met him when I was in college. And I, I would go up to people and I would ask them, like, smart people, I'd say, like, what books would you recommend to someone like me? So I, 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 Marcus Aurelius showed up. And as far as I knew, he was, like, the old guy in Gladiator that Joaquin Phoenix killed. Exactly. That's who I and, uh, and so I, I read it and just, uh, it was what Tyler Cowen, he calls them quake books, like books that just shake everything you think you know about the world, which at, you know, 19 is not very much. But, um, you know, it... I was like, this is what I want to do. Right. And um, then I went out and lived my life in such a way that hopefully I would be accumulating material that would lead to the book. And then I wrote it. 
and then it just sort of made its way out. It, I did, again, I didn't set out to reach or I just tried to write a book that I would want to read. Yes. Um, and the, what I always say is like the Stokes are so good and so readable that like start with them. I was just trying to write a book that would take what their genius and maybe make it a little bit easier to remember. Mm. Um, like there, I would say there's very little original thought in the book that's not me just articulating what somebody else said 2,000 years ago it, it with a story. It feels like you example. did the work for me. It feels like you went and you said, okay, here's the best part about Marcus Aurelius. Here's the best part about it. And it, it was like, it was like, wow, like this guy did a lot of effort and, and it feels good to read it. It's not just your opinion, but you make it human. Yeah, I mean, people go like, how long did it take to write? It's like, the writing is not that long. It's the years of reading, reading stuff and researching and collecting. What, and one thing that's been funny is the guys I mentioned, Saban, Belichick, Walsh, Wooden, everyone loves to talk about their coaching trees and everyone's trying to replicate it. And I'm curious, is it possible to take people that were under those people that understand the process of what it takes to be successful and then do that as well? Or is there something very special about those guys that's not replicable? Good question. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily know the answer. I mean, obviously lots of people have tried. Not as many people have, succe- have succeeded. Right. It's probably a unique, uh, you know, the Stokes are always talking about what's in our control and what's not in our control. Um, you know, getting the right owner at the right time in a franchise's period with uh, the right players. Like, the Patriots are very open about the fact that, like, uh, drafting Tom Brady was essentially uh, an accident or even a mistake. Like, right. they did not mean to draft... They did not think that he would be either be available. It was yes. a, a miscalculation. Tell and the then, story about Scott Pioli in the picture. I mean, he keeps a picture on his desk of the player they drafted. I mean, I don't even re- I don't remember his name. He probably I doesn't. wrote it down. They drafted him in the fourth round. Fifth round. Fifth and round. He didn't even make the practice squad. Right. Right. Yes. And and it, but not only that, but then if Drew Bledsoe hadn't gotten hurt, they never would have known that Tom Brady was as good as he was. So right. the, the Stoics are always talking about. Uh, Making sure that you're aware not only of the things you don't control that are bad, but that you don't take credit for the luck that you've also had. Right. You know, I think where ego comes in is when we start to go like, hey. Hey, uh, I drafted Tom Brady in the sixth round. This I saw says something, something about special. me as a person. Right. I'm a genius. Like, right. Bill Walsh is like, I'm not a genius. My system is good. The system gets the credit. Right. You know, and, and sort of deferring that is what allows you, I think, to build something that lasts and, and doesn't go to your head. I was just going to say, so Bill Walsh refused to take credit after that three-year turnaround of the 49ers. And I think guys like Bill Belichick, we want them to say this was the master plan. And you wrote in there, and I just want to read it, we want so desperately to believe that those those who have great empires set out to build one. Why? So that we can indulge in the pleasurable planning of our own. And it's it's interesting because we want them to say there was a master plan so that we in our own lives can take credit for when we do something like that. Well, I mean, look, you asked me about this book. Like, I could have told you that, like, I was thinking about coaches and that I meant this book yes. for the NFL. And that, that story would, if I said it enough times, it starts to It'll feel be sexy, true. right. Yeah, right. and it's, so it's, it's this balancing of, like, marketing – uh, which you have to do to sort of convince outside people, and then all of a sudden, the sort of what's that expression? The mask, the face starts to fit the mask. Like yes. you, you can you can live in this vivid uh, illusion of your own making, but the but being a great coach or be it, all of the, even being a great writer, it's dependent on your your willingness to understand reality. Can right. you understand what's actually going on and happening, not what you're projecting onto a situation? So why is it so hard for most people? to accept process? Um, because because it means you're fo- you have to focus only on the 
thing immediately ahead of you, and that's usually like the least sexy, fun thing that you want to do. Like, yeah. you know, you're sitting down and you're writing chapter 13. It would be more fun to be thinking about the cover and you know networking and right. you know it'd be. It's more fun to go on Facebook and tell people. Like, there's this great uh, Twitter account that's like called "I'm Working on My Novel," and it's just people tweeting about how they're working on their novel, even though by nature of tweeting, they're obviously not working <laughs> on the novel. <laughs> right. It's so much e when in this world of social media, it's so easy to get distracted, and then you can go out there and get credit for the things that you're doing. Like, we all have friends who are in bands that have album launch party. Like, yes. they, you can live the lifestyle of the thing you're aspiring to do instead of actually doing it. And I would say those things are, tend to be mutually exclusive. All right, hold on. One more. Go just for because it. we're on it. Stop I, saying one more. Well, you well I know. Well, because want. this is, you know, he's your man. But, uh, and not to say I don't like it, but John Wooden, <laughs> I know you didn't yeah. get to talk with Bill Walsh or, or Wooden, but I just, just would like to know from your evaluation, like the differences and the similarities between a Belichick and Saban being in person with them that jumped out to you. I haven't actually been in person with either of them either. Okay, they, they there were we go. Just, uh, the book is just sort of made... I, I just sort of get word that the the book has gotcha. made, it, made it back that way. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I, was right. I wish. That was, I, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> with that, though, all the guys you just said, yes. and I've asked, I emailed you this question, media and coaches, boy, or do they want different things. Because the coaches, they want to say, let's move on to Cincinnati. Let's yeah. talk about process. Right. We want to do this. And the media goes, are you going to go undefeated? Are yeah. you going to win the championship? Are you going to go back to back? They seem to me like media and coaches, especially those guys, do not get along at all. Can they coexist? And what questions should be asked? Sure. Well, I, it's true for not just sports, right? You're a politician. Uh, you're uh, like a politician lives in the world of what they call the CNN effect. Or uh, you're a businessman. All you have, you're you run a C, you're a CEO. You're having to think about your quarterly earnings, even though your job as a CEO is to think ten years in the future. Right. So everyone is having to manage this world of where you have these sort of short-term expectations and interests you have to manage, but then you also have to be thinking long-term at the same time. So I think that's that's extraordinarily difficult. Um, I don't know. I think I think what you see is coaches who coaches and people who who understand. I have to service this need, and if I alienate them, it makes my other job much harder. Mm. So um, it's avoiding these sort of antagonistic, pointless sort of d measuring contests yes. and, and the fights, um, and then also understanding that hey, if I'm if I'm reading the headlines every day, I'm not doing my if if. If I'm not thinking long term, who's thinking long term for me? Right. So I think I think that's that's what you you have to manage as as not just a coach but anyone. Can you can you keep your eye on the ball, so to speak, while everyone else is is obsessed with the short term? I think Obama is a great example of someone who came into the presidency with all these ideas of sweeping immediate change. He realized how incredibly difficult it was, how the media is an adversary and not your friend. But if you look at where he, he sort of persevered through all that, and now from you know, whatever you think of him politically, he's racking up all these wins now because he was able to sort of figure out that balance of like, yeah. okay, now I have to go on a PR tour to sell this thing to the public, right. and then I'm going to go back to the White House, and I'm going to be working in rooms where no one knows what I'm doing, and I'm going to be laying the groundwork for the next sort of blitz or, or right. program. From the right. media perspective, if I'm sitting there and Belichick's on the podium, what questions do you think he would want to hear that would excite him about talking about the process? Well, I would imagine there's probably he would rather not be doing it at all because it's yeah. a waste of his time. Not just a waste of his time, but like any 
legitimate question that you might have, like, uh, it's like people forget that both sides have an agenda, right? The media wants to get traffic and yes. views, and the coach wants to give away as little as possible. He not only wants to give away as little as possible, what he does give away, he probably has ulterior motives right, for. He wants his team to hear him because he wants it. Oh, they didn't play good. I want them to hear me talk, me talk bad about them. Yeah. Or, or the or opponent. It wasn't that bad. And We're I not keep sure about J.J. Watts's hand. He's probably not going to play. Yeah, you know, right. you're just, you're, yeah. he, He's not giving you information because it's good for you. He's trying to psych out mm. the other team. Right. And, and uh, so, so it's, I think from a view, I more think about it from a viewer standpoint. It's not that it's all bullshit, but you should realize that like both sides are are doing what they want, and yeah. they don't really have any concern for you as a person, right. yes. and they definitely don't care about like what's true or not oh because there's millions of dollars at stake and yeah. fame and popularity. So and we just need things. to accept that it's a relationship where we want different things. <laughs> yeah, or that there's a bit of professional wrestling going on. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit. So the, the, his book, Ego is the Enemy, is coming out June 14th. Uh, and what's really funny is John Schneider was asked recently, like a few weeks ago, uh, to explain how do you get the coaching staff and the scouting department to be on the same page. And he said, no ego. Ego is the enemy. Have you given John the book already? Yeah. So he's already well-versed. So the Seahawks are super into, into it. I think what's amazing is, one, it made me love Dwight Eisenhower. Like, he's my favorite president. It also made me go, oh, Genghis Khan was a really smart dude. And then in the same part go, Bill Walsh is just the coolest man ever. Like, it's just all about process and understanding it. You have a lot more sports references in this one. Yeah, I think I got got sucked into the world a little bit from the the first book. And then uh, I was trying to, I was trying to, I think... If you ask most people, like most people are like, oh, that guy's an egomaniac. I hate that person, like in your actual life. But then uh, people go like, but certainly, you know, Steve Jobs was successful because of his ego. Like we tend to also think like ego is part of it. And like, I'm not sure that that's true. And so I think sports is a great example of where um, actually the most successful people have the least amount of ego. I mean, Mike was telling me, he was like, uh, when I was telling him I was thinking about doing a book about humility, he was like, uh, you know, ego is the cancer of my profession, is what he told me, and right. and I was like, it's actually the cancer of every profession. Right. But like, we love because egotistical people tend to become famous. We think that that's part of the yeah. that's part of what. Made is there them any famous? way to use ego? Like you mentioned, Michael Jordan and how he slapped three teammates, right? Well, Michael well, he Jordan punched them in the face. Punched them in the face. <laughs> well, he went on to win six championships. Sure. Did did that ego help him at all, or did he have someone like like what, what's your take on something like mean, that? I mean, Kanye West is one of the greatest rappers to ever live. Yes, I would say, in all of the times he's gotten in trouble, it it was his ego yes. and all his amazing music. I imagine came from him quietly sitting down and not being an egomaniac and focusing on his craft. So, right. like I've worked with a lot of really successful people and I've who have had huge egos, and what I've found is that. It's like the only reason that the people who stick around them stick around is because they mostly don't get the ego. Like they, it's like it's this abusive relationship with it. But he's also really nice and he's yeah. so talented. You know, right. it's like the ego is just the ego is subsidized by the fact that this person is massively popular. Mm. But if they weren't if they weren't egotistical, they would have accomplished more. Like if you ask Kanye West, he would list like. 10 things that he hasn't done that he wants to do or things that like he complains about why he hasn't been successful in this fashion line and it's probably because of all the things that he 
thinks are working for him but are actually alienating all these people from wanting to work yeah, with him. Right. We are at an interesting time with the NFL draft where we're studying these kids coming out. You tweeted at me the Robert Kimdichie story where we're looking at kids and one of the things we're looking at is can, does this guy have an ego? Yeah. Can he adjust to a team? And right now someone like Johnny Manziel, you know, we're looking at we should have seen the signs. Sure. His ego's overtaking his life. A lot he, of teams did see the signs. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, right? Is there a way to predict that? Is there a way to look at a kid and go, you know, I'm seeing some some lack of humility here. That probably is above my pay grade and gets more into sort of a psycho psych evaluating psych evaluation. Take, yeah, right. and I, I'm sort of trying to think about it from a historical standpoint. But I think I think what you want to what you want to look at is it's I, I try to make the distinction between confidence and ego. Confidence is something you earn based on the results and what you've accomplished. Confidence is like okay, you know, I can run five miles because I ran four and a half miles yesterday right. and it wasn't that hard. Right. I can extrapolate that five is that extra half a mile. conceivably possible. Right. You know, oh, of course I could run a marathon. I'm the greatest athlete alive. That is ego and delusion and that's where people, sometimes you end up being right. The problem with really talented people is like an entrepreneur has this crazy idea and then they turn out to be right. right. So then they think everything should be. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There was a line in Billions where he says like when, uh, in the I think this is the last episode, he says like when people tell you you're Superman enough times, you start to think that you're Superman. Right. That's ego and that's a problem. Right. Confidence is like, hey, I'm really good at this because I put in the work and the hours and I know that I'm good. You right. had a lot of stories about Bo Jackson this one. One, that like even if he got a hit or a home run, he wasn't happy unless his swing was perfect. Yeah. And also, he had two goals. He wanted to be the first pick in the NFL draft and he wanted to uh, win the Heisman. Yeah. And the only person he told was his, his girlfriend. Yeah. And one thing you said is that by verbalizing your goals, sometimes you're taking the steam out of it. And we hear all the one they say, well, what are your goals for the season? Oh, I want to win MVP. Right. You kind of lose a little bit of your edge with that whereas the best ones kind of stay silent I, th I think so I think uh, I think especially in an age of social this is more like for normal people. yeah what is the battle right now with social media I think it's now? like you're when you if, if you told someone that hey like I'm training for a marathon they'd be like oh congrats like great job we're proud of you but it's like you haven't done anything yet so you can sort of get this credit in advance for stuff in this sort of world of validation and then when you get but the reason you you get over the hump of that hard thing in some ways is because you want that validation. So right. it's like if you get it on credit, you're much less likely yes. to, you're like, I already have it. And so these are people where it's like, uh, well, you know, I was going to, and then I got to, you know, it's easier exactly. to, when it gets hard, it's easier to quit. Right. I'm curious your take on athletes. Me and producer Cam have an argument about this all the time. Uh, you talk about Arthur Ashe and how he was silent and humble, and when he would be competing with someone, that actually threw the other person off. Sure. I am a Cam Newton fan. I love the way he celebrates. I love that. But there's also something super powerful about not celebrating. Sure. Is there more power to an athlete that's, that's Barry Sanders handing the ball to the ref in terms of that humility? I mean, I think it depends, right? You have George, uh, George Foreman, who's like a quiet, uh, you know, uh, sort of intimidating boxer precisely because of that. And then you have Muhammad Ali, who's talking trash and right. psyching people out, and, and he's playing a mental game. So I think they're, in both cases, you're playing a mental game. I think one is a lot less dangerous for the player, Right, mm -hmm. like you're if you're just hey, I'm just here to do my job. What's that saying? Like act like you've been there before. Right. Like that is less. You're you're not playing with fire as much there than you are when you're celebrating or you're picking the kid out that you're going to give the ball to when you get right. there. You're it, you have to be really talented yeah. to be able to 
to focus on the incredibly difficult task at hand and be like, I'm going to give it to the kid and number the second yeah. row over there. You're right. just, it's like you're spinning two plates instead of one plate right. at the same time. And some people can do it. Right. Yeah. It's probably just not something that you know the rest of us should try. Yeah, you're, you're, that's it's funny because he's right. I mean, we laugh about it all the time when we watch like an Aaron Rodgers or a Cam Newton. Yeah, before the game, they're never worried about the game. But that is just because they're that talented that they can overcome some of the external obstacles because of their talent on the field. It's easy to them. Uh, yeah. I, I have a question. We are recording this right now. It's currently 1242. Okay. How much of a rush are you? Uh, a little bit of a rush. Can I ask like, two or three Let's more questions? Let's keep doing it, man. You cool I'm with good. that? All right, cool. I, just, I need to ask you these questions. One, in this world of social media, yeah. is brand building then hurtful to athletes? Uh, I mean, it might be hurtful in some ways to some of their on-the-field performance. Yeah. Like, I'm watching Von Miller right now, yeah. who just won Super Bowl MVP, and he's been doing Dancing with the Stars for seven, eight weeks. I'm like, this cannot be good for the process. Plus sure. all the Snapchats, too, yeah, Snapchat. right? I guess you got to ask yourself, what game are you playing? Some people are playing because they want to win as many championships as possible, and that's their motivation. And other people are like, you I know, I want to support my family. Yeah. I want to support my family, and I want to do TV famous, after. Right. And, you know, it's, I guess it's a matter Depends of... Depends on what your It would be hard is. to write... I don't think you want to write someone off just because they're doing this one thing that's a, a bit strange to us, because we don't... I think one of the things is, I talk about in the ego book, is like not comparing yourself to other people because you have no idea what their motivations yeah, are. Right. Like what It's like when like I run a lot, and you'll be like running on a track or something, and someone else will come up like you know behind you really fast. You want to compete with them, yeah. but you have no idea if they just started yeah, you know you, they right. have no idea how much longer you have on you're running like i like things where you're like the thing you're measuring yourself against is yourself and your potential most of how all how hard is that as a professional athlete yeah you I, see your competitors all the time you definitely do and I, I look back at my career and i you know listen i've had psychology help in my life and he talks about a, a, the, a psychologist that really my wife and i both saw especially when i was going through tough times through my injury really led me down a lot of these same things you read about. I have not read your books. And sorry, no disrespect. I'm not He's a great reader. <laughs> but regard, yes. But regardless, uh, was taught some of these things. And I do sure. feel like it really helped me with my life and my approach. Now, I didn't really get to apply it to football because my career was coming to an end. I really saw him post-injury. Right. Uh, but I still think about a lot of these things every day uh, to help me with this job. Hey, I'm going to come in here and watch these eight guys and study them in the draft. And then it becomes, okay, I'm just going to worry about that. And the next day you guys go, oh, do you have something you know, cool to say? And I go, I don't know. You read my notes. I just worked on them. You tell me. And you guys yeah. go, oh, that's different. I haven't heard that. I wasn't worried about being different. I just did what I wanted to do, and I was right. passionate about it. Tell me, and, tell me if this quote doesn't right. apply to coaching completely. Right. It was a quote in one of your books from Marina Abramovich. If you start believing in your greatness, it is the death of your creativity. Mm. Think about how many coaches are like, I'm just going to do what I always do. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think there was a part of me with even John Gruden, as great a coach as he was, at times he would go, you know, I'm not going to adjust to you. I've been here. I've been running this offense. You're going to adjust to me. Right. And I think that came back to no disrespect to John Gruden, but came back to bite us in the butt sometimes, whether I was playing or even the backup. Yeah. Where I could say with Belichick, he would go, man, that's unrealistic to ask that guy to change to what I'm doing. So I better come up with a formula or a plan that uh, helps, you know, bring his strengths to the top here you and limits his weaknesses. Bill Belichick's greatest strength was problem solving. Definitely. I mean, his ability to be able to take the task and go, ooh, in this formation, 
I know I can stop these five plays if I play this defense, but they every now and then run this sixth play that's dangerous and could go for an 80-yard touchdown, so he'll evaluate the situation and go, you know what, I'll play a more conservative defense, maybe let them get 10 or 15 yards, but not give up the big play because when they get in the red zone, I know exactly what they want to do, and I know I can stop them from getting in the end zone and make them kick a field goal, and that's why they're always a bend-don't-break type of defense, right? We look at every year, we go, man, everyone moves the ball in them, but no one can score touchdowns on them, and yet they get the ball and they go down and score a touchdown. Exactly. So he's figured out that yes, that thought. It's process. so funny how like mesmerized we are by all this, but how simple it is what they do. Sure, and that basically people figured this out like two thousand years ago, wrote it down, and it's like free on the internet, but nobody, <laughs> nobody yeah, reads right. it. But I think what you were saying is it's like okay, if you're if you can demand that another player change for you, and right. they might do that, but right. ultimately you don't control that other person. You do control your ability to adjust around that person. Right. So there's a certain amount of pragmatism there in the stoicism, which is like, look, I can ask these people, but at the end of the day, they're not. Like not capable of doing what I'm asking or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so it I'm going right. to meet them. I'm going to meet them halfway because yes. that's that I do control that part of the thing yes. and that, that relentless focus on the difference between what you control and what you don't control is is the difference I think both between success and failure and between driving yourself insane, insane crazy, and, right. and you know getting the most out of any given situation. To that, right. I want to wrap it up with this. My one friend Alex, who currently is in Peru. Okay, he's. He is the man. Just for I lo- fun? I love this. He's exploring. Okay. He's everything. Himself, the culture. Um, <laughs> my, my, his question that he wanted me to ask was, he is someone that is following the process. He is someone that is employing stoicism. He doesn't let things get to him. But what's really hard for him is talking to people that maybe haven't thought of it like that and that have a hard time. They let everything get to them. How do you communicate with people that don't see it the same way that you do on a normal basis or for all that? Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest part. And I, when I was thinking about writing the book, it's like uh, when, when I would read other books about Stoicism, they're like, and Seneca said so-and-so. And, but that doesn't mean anything to someone who doesn't care who that is. So right. I think, you know, it's like uh, somebody, messes some, somebody, somebody who works for you messes something up. You can yell at them and you can hope that it, you can berate them into changing or you can say, like, okay, what are we going to do? This has happened. What are we going to do about this now? Yeah. And so that, that's how I try to focus on it is like, I'm going to, um, there's that expression in the military, like calm is contagious. If you're just calm and you explain like what we're going to do about this or you know what they should do. And then I think the other part of it for your own sanity is just going like, look, I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but I cannot change you as a human being. Yeah. That's your responsibility. Right. And at the hardest thing to do, and it's, I think a journey, I don't think I'm there, is coming to peace with that reality and appreciating that. Like, not just, okay, I'm gonna tolerate the fact that I don't control these assholes. That's like one attitude, which is kind of productive, but it's like, people are gonna do what they're gonna do, right. and that's, they're doing them, yes. right? And I'm okay with that, and that's what makes the world interesting. That sort of, not just a tolerance, but a genuine sort of appreciation for yeah. the fact that other people are We're doing their own thing. Right. Yeah. Awesome. It is awesome. This is great, man. Thank you. you June fourteenth, Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy, is coming out. Is it going to be like audio book, all that Everything, stuff? Everything, yeah. Everything coming out. Ego is the Enemy, and I, I have already given out at least ten copies, and I've sent out the Amazon link to like twenty people. If you read Obstacle is the is the way, it's not the enemy. Obstacle is the way. Uh, Ryan Holiday, you're the man. Thanks, man. Sins of Left Go podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. See ya. <laughs> Got cool. so re-